0: I think the main thing that youtube really really needs you to do is not necessarily be entertaining but be easy for the algorithm to categorize you so for Mm. example weight loss is too broad there are so many different categories under weight loss but if you say i'm helping with specifically macros right that is so much more specific and the more videos you keep producing on exactly those keywords over and over again, the easier it gets for YouTube to categorize you. And once it's able to categorize you for that, you don't even have to do the work to get to rank number one by being entertaining or whatever. It just trusts that you know what you're talking about for macros because you've been producing so many videos for macros. And then you'll automatically be in the top five. And that's when you know, the engagement and everything starts mattering.
1: Tell us what you're working on and what's your story.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for liking my indie hacker story and reading it. I know it was very long, so I appreciate it. So my background is I, I, was, I, was, I was an engineer at Microsoft and I was struggling with fitness and with health okay. in a way that is difficult to observe because I'm not, I wasn't typically overweight. What I was is called skinny fat, where your body composition is just so off, even though you look Uh, A certain way. And it took, I would say, like between me and my co founder, Lucy, I don't know what the breakdown is anymore because we did the breakdown four years ago, but combined, we spent like about 10 years and $45,000 kind of just trying a lot of programs, reading a lot of books, and doing all of these things to try to figure out how to actually feel good in our bodies. And at the end of it, we kind of realized that every program out there gives you a few puzzle pieces. And there's no program out there that is actually putting it all together, right? There are programs that are helping you with psychology or there's programs that are helping you with workouts. But what you need is really the whole spectrum. And that's why we started Coach Viva and having never started a business before and having never done any kind of marketing before, it was quite the learning curve.
1: Yeah, and what gave you the confidence to take a plunge into entrepreneurship?
0: Good question. I would say the confidence came from wanting to lead a meaningful life. I, I don't think, I, I guess that's not confidence. I think that's more of wanting to maximize my time on earth. I'm someone who oddly thinks a lot about death. So I think maybe that was what gave me the confidence. to. Do.
1: Yeah. And have you always been health conscious in some way?
0: I hadn't been, which is why I ran into the problem that I ran into. And so I, I haven't been health conscious. And I think a lot of us have a lot of you know, there are a lot of jokes about losing weight, right? I mean, you, you laugh about them, but you also believe them. And they're very insidious and hold you back. And that's been one of the things that we've been trying to do is, is break a lot of those ha joke me- myths.
1: Yeah. And so you were working at Microsoft. You thought about starting a business. Was it a side project or did you leave your job from day one and then you started working on the project? What were the pre-preparations before you started doing this thing?
0: So the first thing I tried doing was get more validation. I I tried to find other people who are also trying to lose weight and verify if they, unprompted, told me that they had the same problems that I did. Mm-hmm. The problem that I had, what I realized was I went after the quantified self group, which tends to be extremely analytical, extremely tech-oriented, and extremely does not have a lot of psychological problems with eating or working out and things like that, right? They're looking for advancement. They're not really trying to pull themselves out of a ditch. Right. Yeah. And I kind of, and I also tend to be that kind of a person. So it was more like I was lacking a lot of, a lot of the strategies. And it was only after a long time of talking to these quantified self people, I think I got Some validation that yes, some of the problems that I was seeing are legit where people don't know because of all of the contradictory information what to do, right? So there's the strategic piece that was validated, but there was a thing under the, there's like a whole iceberg and the strategic piece is just the tip of the iceberg. And below the waterline is all of the psychological piece that I did not understand and did not get validated. And that was just a bunch of trial and error. And my guess is for anyone who is trying to sell any kind of product, unless you're selling to a business, I would say, I think if you're selling to a consumer, consumers, the things that hold them back is the psychological piece, rather than the strategic piece, even though the only thing they voice is the strategic piece, and that's not really what's holding them back, that's step two.
1: Right, and what are the questions that you were asking to validate your idea? Because I was talking to Avid Karl the other day and he has a SaaS product and he was talking to me about The Mom Test, which is a very famous book. You frame your questions in a way in which, basically you want to avoid false positives. And so how are you framing your questions?
0: I was not following The Mom Test. I wish I had followed The Mom Test, I will say that. I've read that (laughs) book, it's a really good book, highly recommended. Yeah. I think. The questions, if I recall, uh, this was four years ago, the questions that I was asking was meant to be kind of like I I started almost like a chronological thing is is like, how did you start? What problems have you had? What have you actually tried? What have you paid for to solve this problem? What are the free things? Have you tried? What were the problems with all of these things? So I guess I did do the mom test to a degree. I I followed that to, to the degree that I could. And the the other problem that I also saw while interviewing these people was the stage of the journey that they were in. They were already really close to success. And especially with weight loss, a lot of people are very embarrassed to talk to someone about their weight loss journey. So just by virtue of them being open to talk to me meant they were so, for, so much further ahead that if I came up with something, they, it was too late for them already. Like They were already kind of succeeding. So it was like a dimension of the psychological piece, just talking to the market, which tends to be very analytical. And then also being in a niche where people were just farther ahead before they're ready to even talk to you face-to-face.
1: Right, and so you have one piece that you have validated your idea that people do need this thing. What is the next thing that you did?
0: The next thing that I tried to do was a stab at the hypothesis that I had with a solution that I wouldn't have to code up. So okay the hypothesis the hypothesis that i figured out was what people want is essentially what i call the insights but what it is is like really good coaching it's like look at my actual data and tell me what i should do next right that's basically what they wanted and i was yeah. like well that can just be done over chat right <laughs> i don't need to like build anything for it so i tried to do a mixture of i tried to be the person that they're talking to over facebook messenger and then so we connected over facebook messenger and then they had a google sheet that they could go look into which i was populating with all of their information and like my suggestions so that was the first like mvp that i did
1: okay and did you have a co-founder from day one
0: it wasn't day one she was the first person i interviewed actually from by oh, itself nice. so that was very that was amazing that that happened so i didn't have it from day one i was looking for a co-founder and then when i was writing like thank you holiday cards to all of the people who had agreed to interview with me. And then I was like, wait, you're 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 all type Microsoft. And you really, really have this problem. Let's talk." <laughs> and then we did a like a I think a three-month trial where we tried to build together this tool, which, you know, based on your macros and your calories, is able to suggest to you what you can get from a grocery store or from a restaurant. And uh, we we decided we really liked working together, so we took it from there.
1: Wow. And so How did you get your first users? Were the the people, were those people, people you had interviewed earlier that were willing to try out the solutions that you were trying to build?
0: No, they were too far ahead in their journey to actually make use of what I was building. The first people that we got was really for just from our personal network. So that was the best thing that we did, which is we basically shouted at everywhere we are at about what we're doing. And and I've noticed that every time there, we do something like a launch, basically, there seems to be almost a pent up demand for it. Like every time we have switched from offer A to offer B, there's like a pent up demand that we, that, that comes up. So there's always a rush in the beginning when you announce it to your personal network and then it dies down. So right. You can't rely on it, but it's good with, for the initial rush whenever you do that launch.
1: Right. Yeah. And at this point, what are the growth strategies that you are trying and at what stage of building this company are you at?
0: I would say at this stage, we are trying to transition from being a productized service to actually building a SaaS app, which was the original vision of where we wanted to start. Mm-hmm. So the productized service, we have learned a lot around how to market that. And our, our strategy is really based around YouTube. Because for health and fitness, YouTube is, is really good, especially for how-to information. Because it's visual, you can still talk to it, that kind of thing, it's long enough. And so we have doubled down on just YouTube SEO as our main bait. And then we, our hook tends to be this free workshop that we give people. And the point of the entire workshop is to have people get to know how our program is different and how specifically it will help them and self-select if that is a match for them. And then if they like that, they get onto a call with us and then you know, we take it from there if they're a fit or not. So that's really been the main marketing strategy that has been working for us. And it's been working for us in an evergreen fashion, which has been really good. So even if you stopped making YouTube videos, I am fairly certain we'll still get customers. Uh, And that has
1: been our belief. Nice. And I was reading your Indie Hackers interview, and I guess I read somewhere that in the beginning, you were doing one-on-one consulting as an agency, and then you switched to productized service. So at what point did you start, move from an agency model to a, offering a productized service model? It
0: was at the point that we realized we couldn't scale anymore with our consultancy. So we were doing it because one-on-one can only go on for so long before you feel you have enough scale, but you've hit a ceiling. And then the other thing that also happens with it is you're also repeating yourself a lot. And Mm -hmm. to a degree that it feels like it's diminishing returns, and there must be a better way to package what you've learned. So we jumped, uh, if, you, if you look at Nathan Berry's, you know, the founder of ConvertKit, right. like he has the wealth ladder thing, right? We literally ended up following that and I didn't know it existed. So it was wow. like retroactively, we were like, oh, there's a, there's a framework that he has put out. So, yeah, we went from having, you know, trading time for money to actually doing a one-on-one service. And then in the one-on-one service, we learned a lot about our customers, like the psychological piece I was talking about that I had no idea we learned a lot about that. And then we were like, we're confident we can actually productize it at this point. And then we started doing the productized service, which is where the whole YouTube and everything came in. Because you know, when you're doing a service, you don't need that many customers, but then when you're doing a productized service, you do need more customers. So uh, we got there. And then now we're finally at the stage where we kind of understand what pieces of the productized service are fulfilling what needs our customers have. And now we're, gon- we're gonna look into where does the pro- product, like an app, fit into that whole uh, ecosystem.
1: Right. And how many months into the future are you planning the SaaS application?
0: We're hoping to get the first version out to our current customers of the product I service by the end of the year. And the first version is essentially what they're already duct taping together using our Google (laughs) Sheets and Messenger bot. We're like, can we just like put that in one place? Right. So that is the other beauty of jumping from this very incremental kind of ladder is everything is validated before you actually start, you know, building it and not using off the shelf solutions.
1: Nice. And it's interesting that you mentioned YouTube SEO because a lot of times for most YouTube creators, when you're trying to build a channel on YouTube, the primary focus is on the quality of videos that you're making. And the most common advice is make it entertaining because it's like television and then focus on whatever you're trying to give them information about. And I was looking at the videos on your channel and it couldn't be more different and yet it works. So what was your idea behind making it so in, in some sense academic and not going towards that popular route and focusing on just the SEO thing and the numbers thing about health?
0: Yeah, I think it really depends your to niche to niche, I would say. So if everyone, if you're, if you're going after an entertainment niche, like if you're going to be the next Mr. Beast or something, I'm sure your strategy is completely different. I don't know what your strategy needs to be. But if you're doing something which is more a how-to oriented thing, I think the first thing you need to be very clear on is how are you going to stand out in that niche? And to be honest, I didn't know the answer in the beginning. And uh, a lot of it is just experimentation. So the the thing that, uh, backing up even more, I think the main thing that YouTube really, really needs you to do is not necessarily be entertaining, but be easy for the algorithm to categorize you. So for example, weight loss is too broad. There are so many different categories under weight loss. But if you say I'm helping with specifically macros, right, that is so much more specific. And the more videos you keep producing on exactly those keywords over and over again, the easier it gets for YouTube to categorize you. And once it's able to categorize you for that, you don't even have to do the work to get to rank number one by being entertaining or whatever it just trusts that you know what you're talking about for macros because you've been producing so many videos for macros and then you automatically be in the top five and that's when you know the engagement and everything starts mattering right and then after you you are, are have narrowed down to which particular keywords you want to rank for then the second thing is the format, which is what you're talking about, like how entertaining, how, how educational do you want it to be? And this is partly going to be what comes naturally to you. So doing scientific breakdowns is something that comes very naturally to me and Lucy. Like that's where our interests lie, is we're just very curious why people are doing what they're doing and how do things work, right? So that comes very naturally to us. And it's kind of a funny story. We saw another channel who was doing a lot of reaction videos. Like this woman was watching other person's what I eat in the day videos and reacting to it. Okay. And she was doing really well. So we're like, oh, this is a fun format. Also, it takes no scripting. So it sounds like less work. So <laughs> Lucy and I tried to all to do reaction videos. And within like two or three videos, we realized like we're not good reactors because the point of a reaction video is catharsis, right? You feel, you want polarizing, like what the hell is going on? Right. And both Lucy and I are like, well, it makes sense in this context and way, that people are just like losing interest. That is not the point of a reaction video. Right? Right. So there are, there are many, many formats and I encourage you to actually just like list what all those formats are. And if you look at your favorite channels, you'll figure it out. Right. And just experiment on all of those formats. And you'll see one comes very easily for you and it does really well. And for us, we kind of stumbled upon it, but in retrospect, it seems obvious. You know, the dots always connect looking backward. Yeah. But being engineers in the weight loss niche, we don't have a lot of the rah, 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 rah thing. We have a lot of this is how things work kind of attitude. And that is mm. just like completely missing to a degree, uh, especially for women's weight loss. For men's weight loss, it's sometimes a lot more scientific, but for women's weight loss, it's, it's different. Right. So we just happen to carve that niche for ourselves.
1: Uh, and in hindsight, I guess. The most difficult problem for any startup or for any new company, especially on the internet to stand out is how do people define you? And when people think of fitness or a weight loss category, there is a preconceived notion about how that YouTube channel might be making videos and you have all these bodybuilders and they have six packs and they're trying to make it sort of hustle, hard work, that kind of a categorized thing. And then they look at your video, and it's very different. And for a niche audience, somebody who's very analytical, somebody who's a nerd, it just hits the target audience really well. And if I'm into that, I can explain to any number of people what exactly you do and how you do it. And it's very different from all the other channels out there. So it's a good differentiator in the end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You hit it spot on.
1: Yeah. And... You you did something very interesting about YouTube SEO because I had not heard people trying YouTube SEO in so, so much depth. So can you elaborate on your YouTube strategy? Say you are uploading a video tomorrow. What are the things that you do uh, in terms of SEO?
0: Yeah, definitely. So we have a list of YouTube keywords, mainly like phrases that we really want to rank for. So PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome. We, so we have made a sheet and in the sheet, what we did was we listed everything around weight loss that we feel we have expertise in. And then we created a column with search volume, uh, using keywords everywhere. And then okay. we created a column now uh, using TubeBuddy, which is this YouTube extension on how many videos are there for that phrase. And okay. if the video pool is extremely big, like over hundred thousand, and you're just starting out, it's like way too competitive. Mm. Uh, you're never going to rank, right? And the last one was business value. Like how likely do I think is this person going to pay for my service, right? Okay. So, so for example, someone who is looking for macros, I don't know if they're going to pay for us. Like macros isn't really that complicated. So like it goes lower down the list. So I, I encourage you to first like start with that list, right? And that's a lot of upfront work, but it's extremely helpful. And then you will rapidly be able to realize that there are only two to three keywords that are meet all of the bars they have good business values they have good enough search volume and they have low competition and then based on those keywords what we end up doing is we try like for example let's say we're doing pcos we'll be looking up like all kinds of things that people would be searching for like the combination of answer the public with the keywords everywhere suggestions like a combination of those things in our own knowledge we'll be like okay pcos supplements PCOS and insulin resistance, yeah. you know, like, how do you stretch that word out, right? And, and see what, what kind of search volume and, and, and competition you get. And then, so we generally try to aim, in case someone is trying to do it, the numbers we look at is the search volume must be between, between 100 to 1,000 per month for the short tail keyword. Okay. For example, PCOS supplements, right? And then we go look at TubeBuddy, and then if in TubeBuddy it says it's a million videos, we're like, okay, that's way too much. Okay, now let's make it longer, right? So I have the short tail keyword that meets these criteria, and then PCOS supplements for energy and good skin or something, right? And then now I look at TubeBuddy and it's like now the volume has gone down. So I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna aim for this particular keyword. And this strategy has worked really well for us. And when we started doing that, you can see if you go to social blade, you'll see the hockey stick basically started happening when we started following this.
1: Nice, where did you learn this?
0: I joined, there's this woman, Sunny Lenarduzzi. Okay. She is, has like a course on YouTube on, and how to do all of this uh, research. So I joined her course and she kind of like broke this model down for us. I highly recommend that course.
1: Interesting. What are the other courses that you took while in this journey of building this business?
0: Mainly I have only taken Sunny's course. I've taken other courses in the past that I'm not going to name and (laughs) they were not good. Yes. (laughs) I think there's a gap between knowing how to market and being able to teach someone marketing and not remembering all the steps that it took to get you to where you're at. So yes, there have been other courses that I've taken that I'm not going to name, but um, (laughs) you know, it's worth the risk just in case you
1: hit the right one. Right. Yeah. And you said this was your first business. So where were you learning all these things, product market fit or, or trying to grow an audience?
0: I started off learning, my very first book I would say was The Lean Startup. I think that's the gateway book for a lot of us. Yeah. So that was the very first book and I kind of went into a rabbit hole of the entire Lean series, everything that I could find. I was on like the startup, weekly digest and things like that and whatever. You know, It was just like a daisy chain into a lot of things. So it was a lot of product oriented stuff that I looked at and I looked at the marketing advice that I got from, from, from that crowd. And, but what I found was when I actually started doing the work that the marketing advice that they had was more geared toward companies that have some cash to burn. I do not Mm. have cash to burn being bootstrapped, And I, there was a low point. This was, I think, the summer of twenty eighteen, where I was. We were in. I was. We were working remotely from Mexico, and I remember that entire summer. I would just be walking around Puerto Huerta and listening to, trying to find people who are not in the tech bubble. Like that was my way to like. I, I like. What do marketers do? People who just market for a living. What do they do, right? And that's how I found, you know, on YouTube a bunch of these people who were just like teaching coaches or teaching pure just marketing. Like how do you market? How does direct response marketing work? That they? was mind blowing to me. And that's how I found all this. The first person I found was Clark Kegley. I don't think he does marketing anymore. Okay. And at the time he was talking about Russell Brunson and that's oh. how I got introduced to Russell Brunson. Uh, right. And then once you find Russell Brunson, you start finding a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, I think I was watching Grant Cardone's video and then Russell's video came up and if you watch Russell for five minutes, you'll watch him for 50 hours. You won't even, (laughs) he's a very good, he's very good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If if he had not built sales funnel, he would have built a hundred million dollars speaking business either ways.
0: (laughs) I think you're right. Yes.
1: Yeah. And (laughs) I was reading your about page and yesterday I messaged you about that as well. It's a very well-written copy. So did you write that or did you hire somebody to write?
0: No, we wrote that. Yes.
1: Wow. Interesting. Did you learn copywriting?
0: No, this was also all after, you know, finding Russell Brunson and then we bought his funnel scripts, I think that's one of his the products he sells. And we don't we're not subscribed to it, but it taught the basics of copywriting. And then that kind of Pushed me into just learning copywriting. And there was this one course, speaking of courses, it's by the Moran brothers, the people who own SAMCart. Right, right. They had a course called the One Page Funnel. I don't know if they offer that course anymore.
1: Oh, yes, I think I've heard of that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that particular course is essentially, you know, they marketed however they want It's a copywriting course. Like yeah. really that's what it is. It's teaching you how to write one page. And I think that was a really it gave us the structure of how to build the emotional journey that we needed. Mm. And then the content inside that structure, we had so much experience with the psychology piece, you know, being a service and a productized service. The combination of those two things is what caused us to be able to write that page. And, you know, the sales page that we have, which has a similar copy, like the story that you saw, uh, it converts at like about 17 to 20%. Which, wow. You know, I, I, yeah, when I compare, when I see the benchmarks from, from, you know, the, the typical landing page sites, I, I feel like we're it's, blowing it out of the water.
1: It's, it's <laughs> very good. It's very good. And was that one of your first situations or did you practice copywriting for weeks and weeks?
0: It was, that particular page was our first iteration. There wow. have been very minor changes to that page. But before that, we have tried writing a lot of landing pages that did not work out. So um, the, what I mean is that particular page was for, for a particular offer and, and okay. that went well, well, very well. But then before that we had other offers that we were landing pages that did not do well at all.
1: And for somebody who has never tried copywriting, taking a course, okay, somebody can buy a course, but then what is the best advice once you've gone through a course to learn copywriting? Practice. Right. <laughs>
0: I would say like practice a lot. That is the only way to do it.
1: Have you heard of the hustle? Yeah, Sam Parr, Shanpuri. So I was listening to this interview with Sam Parr, and I don't know if you've heard this story, but for six months before starting Hustle, Sam locked himself into a room and he used to rewrite all the great copywriters. So he had a list of all the great 100 copies of all time, and then he would write them down. He would just basically copy them word to word. And then I think he it- wrote down a couple of novels as well, very, very famous novels. And over time, he said that his writing automatically got better because just by practicing the very, very famous copywriters. And so that was his best advice.
0: And but, but, you know, going back to the point that you were saying, they have done a lot of work to build that level of momentum.
1: Yes, you know, And
0: I think the one thing that I want to highlight from what you're saying, I think part of it is, of course, copying what, you know, as you as you rewrite the words that other people have said, you will learn like, You will, through osmosis, kind of learn like the structure in which to say things. Yeah. The, the, the breakthrough thing that I also want to talk about is really kind of deeply understanding what are the beliefs that your customer has, because that page that we have for the sales page, it barely says anything what's in the program. Like literally even our workshop doesn't say what's in the program. We don't even have a screenshot, right? The screenshot you saw in the indie hackers interview, like those were the first times first time we had it. And uh, people are buying it, right? And the reason they're buying it is not because of the solution. It's because they believe that we understand their problem. And we understand their problem at such an intimate level that they trust us. And it almost doesn't matter that we don't have a solution or we have a solution. It's like if you really can speak to their deepest fears and they're, you know, this is the difficult thing. I'm going cliche, but like, <laughs> if you can break down their beliefs, right. And this is where Russell Brown says expert secrets really helped me because he gave a framework of how do you figure out their fears? And he talks about like, everyone has beliefs and they have internal beliefs that are holding them back, external beliefs that are holding them back and beliefs about your vehicle that are holding them back. And if you can address all of them with a story that breaks those beliefs so they can form new ones, you have a winning copywriting sales page.
1: Wow, this sounds very interesting. So what was the name of the course of Russell Brunson? This is a book. It's Expert Secrets. Okay, yeah. Is there another book named .com Secrets? Yes. Yeah, because of was confusing Deja. Yeah, all yeah.
0: of his books are secrets.
1: There's traffic secrets. Yeah, traffic secrets. and I, yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk to you about YouTube. So when you started making YouTube videos, obviously out of all the social media platforms, it is the most difficult thing to grow a page is on YouTube. And at the same time, you get the most sticky audience. If somebody is giving 20, 30, 50 minutes of their time, they are more likely to buy from you rather than watching a video on Instagram. And so... How many weeks after you had started making videos, were you, did you start getting sales from YouTube videos exclusively? Or maybe you, can tra- you could track down some sales to the YouTube videos that you were posting?
0: I think the first time it happened, it took about six to eight months, I would say. And I, this might be artificial because we didn't pitch to our audience until six to eight months later. So when we did pitch 6 to 8 months later, they we we got like a few sales that from from the youtube audience directly. And then when we started pitching in every video, which is what we do, it just shot up. So wow. I don't know how much of that was because it takes time before people will buy from you or or was it just because we weren't pitching? Like I can't tell the two apart.
1: Yeah, for the first 6 to 8 months uh- Was it intentional of not pitching or did you not have any?
0: We were being one of those people who are just like, people know. But then, you know, you look at your analytics and you realize that's not true. Like 98% of our watch time comes from people who are not subscribed to us.
1: Okay. Interesting. So everything is organic traffic?
0: Everything is organic. Yes.
1: Wow. Very interesting. And what is your sales funnel on the website?
0: So the people who watch the video, we tell them they can either watch our workshop which is, you know, which teaches them about, which teaches them about the beliefs they need to have in order to succeed in the program. And then the end of it, it also asks them to book a call with us. So we usually do get we get onto a call with people because it is, you know, it is a high ticket program. So it's like you know, in the thousands of dollars. So okay. you get onto a phone call, and then we have a you know a typical sales call, right? <laughs> sales script, yeah. all of that jazz. And then at the end of it, they, they buy it. So it's a very, very simple funnel.
1: Right. And what is the dollar amount of the product that you've sold at this point?
0: We've sold, I think we're, we're hitting six figures. I think by the end of the year, we might hit six, six figures. So okay. that's a very big turnaround for us because last year, I think we hit around, I think it was five figures. I think low five figures, I would say. Like,
1: but, and then, yeah. yeah, we're
0: about to hit like a hundred thousand at the end of the year.
1: I think after coronavirus, people will be more health conscious.
0: I I would think so. Yes. We've definitely gotten that as a reason for why people have chosen this time to work on their health.
1: Yeah. I was listening to this interview of Chris Backe, and he's the founder of Lasky.co. And basically, so he has sold a couple of startups. His idea is, so he had it pre-planned, like you said, this framework of Nathan Berry. He had this thing pre-planned where he would first build an agency and it would go into consulting agency would go into these different companies, all these big enterprises and look at how they are building their sales funnel and their marketing funnel. Then he'll productize it and then he'll try to build it into a SaaS product. And it, it is a very niche concept. I mean, people in indie hacker space, they know this people in startup space, some people know this, but beyond that, not a lot of people are aware of this. And so most people have this idea of, I'm in this job, I cannot leave this job because entrepreneurship for most people is you either are in a job or you are in business. There is not a phase where you're transitioning from one to the other. So what would be your advice to somebody who would want to get into entrepreneurship and they can use the step-by-step process that you use to build your business?
0: I personally highly recommend it, especially if you're doing this. So I don't know much about selling to businesses, but at least if you're selling to consumers, it is extremely hard to do what the lean startup tells you to do or, <laughs> you know, what Steve Blank tells you to do, because the tech crowd is actually very generous with helping people out and with their time to help hmm. people out. Yeah, I was kind of surprised, and I shouldn't have been, but most people outside of the tech crowd are... I think they have been slammed by marketers and salespeople a lot. So they're extremely afraid to get onto a call with someone else. And they're extremely afraid to be sold to, even if that is not their intention. And if people have that mindset, it's very hard to even get a proper customer interview down. Right. And, you know, I got a lot when I first started the reason I went for Quantified Self was because these people actually were generous with their time. I tried reaching out to people on Reddit, for example, and I know Reddit tends to be more skeptical so maybe that wasn't the right platform. But a lot of people were just like, "Oh, could you just email me the questions, right?" And the the problem with a customer interview is it's almost the questions that come up after you start talking are more important than the questions that you know you're going to ask. Yeah. Because a lot of it is just reading between the lines when you're talking to someone. So I promote from, a, from a, if you if you're selling to a consumer, it is extremely helpful if you can just be like, okay, I'm just going to help you with weight loss, right? You pay me, I'm a coach. I will help you with this, right? Now you are doing your customer interviews and you're getting paid for it. right? <laughs> the, and then once you have done enough of this one-on-one stuff, you know, like you feel like, okay, I really understand this customer, right? And I really understand the persona. I really understand their, you know, the beliefs I talk about, the internal, external, and vehicle beliefs. I can write a copywriting copy and put it up there and it will convert at like 17%, right? <laughs> People will jump on a call if they read that page, right? You do that test and if you can pass that test, you know you're ready to then maybe go on to a product service uh, thing or a SaaS thing, whichever might be, you can, you can jump steps if you want to, right? Uh, but what that does is you have an extremely validated idea, you're getting paid for it, and you have beta customers already who are ready to test your thing because you have been giving them duct tape solutions so far. Right. So, I highly recommend this approach. Like, I am so much more confident that any, even the first version of the app is going to be so much more successful just because I've tested it already so much.
1: Hmm. And at what revenue figure do you think this project will be at a, at a scale where you will want to hire somebody?
0: I think probably a million is, is my guess. Yeah. I am constantly surprised by how scrappy you can be. But I understand that there's also a trade-off, right? You don't want to be scrappy because it's diminishing returns after a certain point of time. So yeah. my guess is that it's probably at about a million.
1: And are you building a list somewhere, or an email list or a, or a community?
0: Yes. So the people who join for the workshop, they also get onto our email list because not all of them jump on a call with us. Like Usually mm-hmm. around 28% uh, to 30%, depends on the month. They jump out on call with us. So, the other 70% we put on our email list and we nurture them with, with essentially what and why content. Because, again, when we're talking to consumers, a lot of it is around just the psychology piece of it, right? Uh, if you give a lot of how, your email, is, uh, what we have found is people don't open our emails if you give a lot of how. People are like, oh, I need to read this when I have time to focus. And guess what? That time to focus never happens right? Oh. Which is by, if you see emails from, for example, Ryan Holiday, who has a 50% open rate, right? His emails have no know how. They just make you feel good. And they make you feel like, oh, this is the life I want to live. And guess what? He has 50% open rates, right? So.
1: Yeah, that is an interesting take. Yeah.
0: <laughs> right? So we've tried to model Ryan Holiday, I guess. Mm. And then we have started noticing, well, people actually open our emails. And now you can actually have a conversation. <laughs> so that's what we, we try to nurture them. But I will say we haven't figured out very well how to get people to convert if they did not convert in the first month. That's been hard for us, at least from a weight loss consumer perspective. I don't know if other weight loss businesses have the same problem. I notice a lot of weight loss businesses don't actually email their list. They usually just Mm. do promotions or they point to a blog post. So I wonder, based on this behavior, I'm wondering if there's something special about this niche where like people are just not able to figure out email. I, I don't know right. what's going on, but uh, we're struggling with that part. It's not a bottleneck in our sales engine right now, so I'm not focused on it, but that's the other thing, right? You want to map out your entire funnel and only work on the bottleneck.
1: Right. And with the YouTube videos, what are the kinds of videos that you're trying to make? Do you have a content strategy where This week, we are trying to post these kinds of videos and the next week we transition to something else.
0: Yes. So we batch our content on a monthly basis. So we usually have a YouTube week and we push out like content for the entire next month. So that is a lifesaver. And then the types of content that we do through experimentation, we have found two types of content to do really well for us. The first one is a purely, you know, scientific breakdown, kind of like, how do you do something kind of content. And then the second that I would attribute most of our success to is writing on keywords that people are already searching that are not informational. So it's a product keyword of some sort or a person keyword of some sort. So I would highly recommend anyone who's trying to do YouTube to figure out what are the products or entities that people in your niche are already searching for and do something different than that. So for for us, a lot of people search for product program reviews, right? People want to join Orange Theory Fitness, they want to join whatever Weight Watchers, right? So we do a breakdown and our specialty is in the science behind it. And that's how we're able to differentiate because even though there are other reviews, our reviews stand out because they tend to be very objective about what's going on. Right. So, well, yeah, what is that for you? And I know in like the entrepreneur niche, for example, a lot of people read books. And I know there are a lot of summaries on there already, but how mm. can yours be different than anyone else's? I think mm. that takes experimentation, but yeah. But you,
1: do, do you have any ideas on that?
0: Ideas on, on how to do book summaries that is different. Mm. I think one thing that would be really interesting, and I actually want to do this because I want to start blogging on uh, like personal, personally blogging, yeah. is what I've noticed is when I read a book, I'm reading a book to learn something new. And I know very little about the area usually, right? Because Mm. if I already know a lot about the area, I'm probably taking action. I don't need to read more books about it. So just the act that I'm reading a book implies that I don't know enough about it. But what ends up happening is when I read the book, the book does not tell me what else I don't know. My unknowns remain unknowns, right? Uh, I think it would be fascinating if someone did a book summary which was not just a summary of the book but like hey these are the areas that the book talks about which are awesome and but here's the context right it only works in this context it doesn't work in all of these other contexts and also this book does not talk about all of these other 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 things right like let's take writing right Mm -hmm. i i read these two books it's everybody writes by ann handley and then Make to stick by the heat brothers yeah I did not realize when I read Anne Handley's book that what she is mainly focusing on is the structure of how you write, right? It's like these big blocks, if you will, right? Yeah. That's really where her book shines. But then when I read Made to Stick, I realized like, oh, he's talking about the literal sentences that go inside one of those blocks. And you know, I had to read two, what, 400-page books to put that together, (laughs) like, I don't know what I don't know. And I think like, just like there's a tech stack, there's like a skill stack for everything, right? And every book fits in one of those skills. And I'm like, someone build that stack for me. Like, I don't know what the stack is. Right. I think that would be incredible if someone if someone I, w- I would even maybe even pay for that.
1: <laughs> that is a very interesting idea because a lot of people in the tech community they read books and they summarize books. So Avid Karl is a website. Ryan Holiday does that, and a lot of people do that. And all of them are basically the same. It's the personal perspective of, on what they found interesting, and your idea could be very interesting. It's a very different take take at least on summarizing books, and it makes sense, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, make my unknowns knowns. Like I think if I had to say like, what is my biggest fear in a business? It's like not converting unknowns into knowns fast enough. (laughs) I think once you've converted a lot of the unknowns into knowns, you're you're probably going to succeed.
1: Right, very interesting. And if nerds want to get healthy and if they want to connect with you maybe, what would be the best place to do that?
0: Oh, awesome. Yes, nerds (laughs) who want to get healthy. You can either, I'm I'm on Twitter, so it's A. Richard you can also email me at richa.coachviva.com. At
1: and any parting thoughts or advice for young entrepreneurs?
0: I'd say be very careful about who you compare yourself to and who you take advice from. I think that would be the biggest thing and it is so hard to do because in the easiest, it's not easy, the simplest, not easy. The simplest way I've seen to, to do that filtering is to try to match my conditions with their conditions. And that's one of the things I mentioned in the indie hackers interview is, you know, if I compare myself to how, you know, some of the other companies have done, for example, like Feedback Panda, you know, speaking of Arvid or like Canny, they're way ahead of, you know, revenue wise where I am at. Right. But then our markets are so different. Neither of them are in a red bloodbath market, like weight loss niche. Right. Right. And the competitors are completely different. Right. So, compare yourself to people who are actually in the same play in the same market conditions as you are and are also funding their business the way that you are just like take context into, into into account and it's very hard to do but always assume that your context is not the same as the other person's and once you assume that you will automatically be like what is the context of this person?
1: and so what are other businesses that you are learning from in terms of what your context is good question
0: Am I learning from other businesses? I think that's a good question. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I am actually following any business one-to-one. I think I hear their stories and I think it's interesting just to connect with the people, right? but not necessarily so much with exactly their advice, right? right. Like I, I kind of put it in, in the back of my mind is like, oh, this was interesting advice. And I'll put it in the back of my mind. I'll maybe think about it, but like I won't, act, I won't necessarily act on it immediately unless I can immediately connect it to my context and how it helps. So I would say I'm yeah. following people, but I wouldn't say I am directly following a business.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Richa, for doing this. This was awesome.
0: Thank you, Abhishek. This was a lot of fun.